With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday, and I hope everybody is ready for this weekend. Atlanta United, Philadelphia Union, first place on the line. I am ready to declare that this is the biggest regular season game in the history of the Philadelphia Union. And joining us to talk about it, we have Felipe Cardenas from The Athletic, covers Atlanta United and MLS at large for the publication, the online publication. Felipe, thanks for jumping on, man. We appreciate it. Hey, no problem, Kevin. Happy to be here. So last night I watched Atlanta win another trophy, three trophies in three years, uh, their second trophy in, I guess, three weeks. Um, it's funny to me because it feels like it was not long ago that I was reading the uh, tweets asking for Frank DeBoer to be fired, to be driven out of town. Um, and that is not the case. It seems like Atlanta is very much clicking on all cylinders and playing their best soccer of the year right now. Yeah, I mean, first of all, um, one minor correction. Actually, it's their fourth trophy. And I think the players, funny, the players last night were correcting a lot of people, dude. I think they feel like as if people forget the Eastern Conference trophy that they won. This so, is true. This is very true. Yeah, players are very aware. No, no, no. It's, it was something that they were joking with the other reporters last night after the game when, um, when, when several questions were about the three trophies. Again, they've won three at home, so those are the ones that really are are sticking out right now because they've made Mercedes-Benz Stadium sort of this you know this fortress. But yeah, yeah. To go back to, to Frank DeBoer, you know, he it didn't start well with him. Uh, you know, in his initial press conference, he he was kind of, you know, he said he wasn't going to change a lot, but that, you know, he also wanted to you know, stamp his, his, really his philosophy on this club at the time. You know, we weren't sure what the philosophy, what his philosophy was. Everyone knew what Atlanta United's philosophy was. You know, the attacking brand um, that the front office had been selling, very attacking direct soccer, vertical soccer. And so I think that's where they came to a head because you have a manager that, you know, I think he he's pretty conservative. You know, he, he is a guy that wants to play more compact. He wants to have a very tight shape almost throughout the game. Uh, he he has spent, he was public with the fact that he spent a lot of time in, in January when he arrived um, on defensive tactics. And so that just wasn't the right fit with these players in this roster. Um, and so that's why you saw that some of the players – um, especially the South American players that really signed up for coming to a club that was going to be entertaining um, and, and attacking. And so they started to speak out, and I think they've come to this compromise. And, you know, to Frank DeBoer's credit, he's, I think he's finally kind of really understanding the players that he has at his disposal, the players in the roster that he has inherited, inherited and what makes them click. And so he's letting them be a little bit more free. Uh, I, I think his, you know, the midfield focus that he has wanted to implement early on. You're starting to see a little bit more compact uh, and a little bit more disciplined um, midfield. Although at the end of the last, se- the last season when they won, you know, Tata Martino also tweaked a little bit and incorporated a more defensive system that fit. 
style. So, yeah, I don't think Frank DeBoer is going anywhere anytime soon. He's winning games. They're back, you know, in first place at the top of the table in the Eastern, Con- in the Eastern Conference. They're winning. At the same time, they're doing what is expected. They're supposed to win these games. They were supposed to win the U.S. Open Cup final last night. Uh, they should be at the top of the table. You know, the Campeones Cup against Club America, you know, they were, I don't, maybe you can argue that they weren't expected to win, but mm-hmm. they're a good enough team to compete in a one-game sort of tournament with, with you know, a, a Mexican side that's coming in that's still not full strength because they're in preseason. So all those things are factors. But I think for now, Frank DeBoer should be feeling pretty confident. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when those, when those tweets first popped up, you know, I think my first reaction, I was sitting here like, Wow, really? What the hell are people talking about here? You know, the guy's been in charge for two, three, four, five games, whatever it was. And I know that it wasn't the start that everybody was looking for. You know, and on one hand, I'm sitting here saying, well, I mean, the guy's barely been here for 10 minutes, right? But on the other hand, I kind of understood where people were coming from. And it was almost like refreshing in a way to say, hey, there's high expectations down here. You know, this fan base is dialed in. We, we are raising the level of what we expect from an MLS whatever you want to call it, 3.0, 4.0 kind of franchise. And Atlanta had kind of raised the bar for everybody else in the league. I guess I came around to it and said, well, it really wasn't off base for fans to say, look, we just won a championship in year number two. We're going to hold the highest expectations really of, of any team in the league. Absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a valid assessment. It shows what the, the fan base here in Atlanta expects from their club. And, and I think it also shows that the fan base is listening to what the front office is saying. And they, they pointed that out. They're like, hey, you guys told us that this team was going to be, you know, remain attacking. Uh, They're going to be exciting. And they simply were not that type of team early in the season. They could not get past a bad Cincinnati team. They struggled mightily against Philadelphia here at home. You know, they really were lucky to get three points in that game. Uh, they, they've been pretty poor away from Mercedes-Benz Stadium um, at times. You know, getting off, it's as if they didn't, you know, even get off the bus in some matches, uh, notably the game against Chicago away where they lost 5-1. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so I think that the club has also understood that criticism is is going to happen. It's going to come your way when you're a club that is has, has won so, so quickly as Atlanta United has, um, that has been public about the types of ambitions and aspirations that they have. And and so what I wrote yesterday in in my in our kind of our open cup preview is that you know Darren Neal is the president of Atlanta United who's always been you know, very affable, very outgoing, and, and and really does mix up with the community here, and he's very open with what he wants to do with this club. You know now he's talking less tactics and less about attacking soccer, which he he was one of the main like the most vocal proponents of that. And now he's sticking to. Um, at least lately, on just results, and, and that this team wants to be a team that wins trophies, and as, and now that they're doing that, it's something that they can look back on and say, see, you know, this this is also part of our of our you know our philosophy. It's not just about our tactics. It's not just about performance. Um, you know, on the stat sheet and data, it's about actually winning. So, I think that is something that they're delivering on. That is something that now here the, the fan base in Atlanta is once again starting to engage with. So it's interesting that kind of segues me in, into this macro level storyline that that I sense going into Saturday. And I think other union fans sense it too, but it's kind of this idea of like, you know, I think last year when Atlanta was doing really, really well, the union, the revs, you know, some of these legacy teams in the Northeast that necessarily have not achieved much of anything over the years were sort of saying, look at what these guys did in two years. We haven't been able to do it in 10 years, right? So I think when you look at a team like Philadelphia, 
who has really struggled over the years, hasn't ever won a playoff game, lost three U.S. Open Cup finals. This is the best season the Union are ever having. They're 10 years in. Um, you know, it's a new culture, new philosophy there. The fans are energized and they're coming back to the stadium. I kind of see it almost as like a referendum on where the Philadelphia Union are uh, as a team and as a franchise right now because you have the best team in the East. They have a game in hand. Atlanta has a game in hand on Philly. They're coming to Town Energy Stadium. Uh, this one's for first place and could really determine seeding in the playoffs. I kind of see it as a referendum, honestly, on where the Union are at right now is that too much of a, a take am I off base there or is it is it is it fair for 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 union people to kind of look at it that way no I think that's fair you know in, in the piece that I wrote with Ala, you know Alejandro Bedoya that you know in this these this stretch of games that they have including the game on Saturday you know I wrote that it was quite possibly the most important stretch in club history as well yeah. um, which would make sense to say that this game on Saturday is, is probably their biggest game you know in their 10-year history um, and because of everything that you just mentioned but you know also most teams that play Atlanta United um, that 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 consider themselves even you know just above average in MLS you know when they face Atlanta United they, they it's kind of a point it's, it's they have a point to prove you know they want to show that they can play with this team with this high spending club yeah. um, that ha- you know that has the roster that they have dynamic players expensive players they already have a title they have a you know a reigning MVP and in, in Joseph Martinez and a guy that has already broken so many records and will probably continue to break records in this league and so when you match up against this team and they know it the, the you know the players here know it that they they have a target on their back and that they have to get up for these games and they have not done that you know this year as much away from Mercedes and Stadium like I said before so yeah. you know the game on Saturday I think to your point the fact that Philadelphia is at the top of the table they've been at the top of the table this entire season playing good soccer um, they're they're more attacking. They're you know they're they're taking more risks in in the way that they play. They've they've made some changes that has worked out, and they're this club that isn't a big spending club. You know they have a different philosophy than what Atlanta has. So it's an interesting matchup in that regard too. And in, in, in what we consider, like you said, what MLS 3.0 is. Yeah. And you know it's it, that that's what makes it so interesting to me. Top of the table clash, yes, but the fact that you have one of the biggest spending clubs in league history with one that, you know, really prefers to do business, you know, the opposite way. They want to develop players. They, they spend a little bit more money, if not more money in general, on the academy and developing players. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think Atlanta sees that, and they're probably, that's probably something that they're interested in doing in the long term as well. Yeah, it's like a clash of off-field philosophies, which makes it interesting because I, use, I think I, the reason I use the word referendum is because it's basically going to tell us, you know, whether Jay Sugarman's, you know, we call it money ball, quote unquote, money ball, whatever, not paying transfer fees, looking for freeze, uh, you know, bringing in homegrown talent and stuff like that. It's going to it's going to you're going to learn if that is going to help you, if, if you're going to be able to do that and be competitive with the best clubs in MLS who are paying, you know, 15 million dollars for Barco or something like that. Right. So that's the interesting that's an interesting off off field part of it o- on the field. I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't. I don't think Atlanta is a great matchup um, for Philly personally. I, I, you know, Philly's got a great midfield, and I, I think you know their strength obviously is kind of strangling you in possession and, and pressing high up the field and kind of just like choking the middle of the field with uh, Madunian in and Montero and well, Bedoya suspended for this game, but they've always been very good at kind of dictating the terms. Uh, their weakness is transitional defense, and Atlanta is very mobile and very much an attacking team. So uh, that's how I see it. Do you see it that way? 
I do. And I think if you go back to the the, the, the previous matchup here in Atlanta, you know, when, when Frank DeBoer was still tinkering with, with a lot of different systems, still playing with a back four, um, and, and more of like a diamond midfield that just did not suit this team. You know, he had P.T. Martinez in, a, in kind of a midfield three, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, playing internally, and it just did not suit him at all, uh, really asking him to do a lot more without the ball. And, and at the time, they were defending, um, you know, in their own half. They weren't really pressing high opponents that high, so they were being, you know, a, actually Philadelphia did a great job of, they bunkered a little bit, but they were very disciplined. They didn't allow them, you know, they didn't lose their shape. And they made an Atlanta team that, like you said, that likes to attack and transition, they they made them look very predictable. And so that's something that Atlanta has since corrected. And I think now they're very wide open. Uh, the, the fact that they're playing more of like a 3-5-2, sometimes it's still, it goes back to what, I think it's, it's funny because Frank DeBoer wanted, he started the season with a 3-4-3 and everyone was just like, what, do, what is this guy trying to do? <laughs> yeah, at, yeah. Time, at times they line up in a 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, but, but it's all about giving the creative players like Barco, PT, and Joseph just more room, more space to, to really play with a lot more freedom. And yeah. then guys like Julian Gressel can really just patrol a flank and be dangerous, you know, when they're on the ball. And so that has been happening since, you know, really since the game um, in Houston here in July. They've stuck to that. The players are a lot more comfortable. They look a lot more confident. And if they're midfield, you know, speaking of Philadelphia's midfield, which is very strong, yeah. it's, it's a shame. It's a damn shame that Bedoya won't be there. Yeah, it is. Um, you yeah. know, I think he will be missed. But, uh, you know, Atlanta's midfield has been – they've been up and down. You know, I think Rometty and Nagby are two very good players. You know, I think they're two of the best, you know, technical midfielders in MLS. Uh, I think, you know, sometimes they don't work – great together if teams can get them to chase if teams can get both players to kind of chase the ball hunt the ball they sometimes lose their shape and that's why you see a guy like Jeff mm-hmm. Lorenowitz sometimes step in I think he really stabilizes the midfield but if they if Atlanta controls possession uh and and and, and they are kind of creating the tempo and dictating the tempo then to those two guys like Remedy and Navi can really take over games and, and I think that's that'll be interesting to watch I don't honestly like I don't know if we're going to get to this but I don't know if what Atlanta's lineup is going to look like on Saturday. They've yeah. played a lot of games, um, and so there could be some some rotation there as well. Yeah, true, and it makes it – well, uh, yeah, I mean, it makes it hard to kind of predict or plan or, or break it down or anything, but I, I guess if I'm Jim Curtin and I'm sitting in the film room and I'm watching Atlanta or I'm coming up with a game plan – I mean, I guess I'm looking at maybe trying to attack Pogba on the left if he's on the field. Maybe I'm giving Ilsenio another start. Uh, maybe I'm just saying, look, we're playing on our home field. They're tired. Let's just try to let, choke them out in the middle how, how we normally do, and they kind of wear teams down. When they get to like the 65th, 70th, 75th minute. Um, but I don't know. I mean, he's he played four two three one last week. He's been messing around with the left center back. Um, I mean, I guess I'm trying to just overload and and, and – play your typical game but if, if you're Jim Curtin I mean how do you how would you approach it yeah it's a great question I think I don't know if Pog will be there I think the fact that they've been saving Escobar you know these last you know he came out really early against uh Club America he did yeah yeah did not play in the in, in the, the subsequent match and just got some time last night uh Pogba has stepped in and you know that's something that I tweeted last night I think Pogba on the ball is very good and and often he's he's well positioned in that back three he's he's very used to playing there he played there in France 
uh, you know, was a Europa League center back uh, when he was really, you know, playing his best soccer. Uh, you know, he's since come down from that form, um, but he suits this team well if they can keep the ball. If they are not in possession, you know, he can be attacked. And he he, he was last night, you know, in the Open Cup final, I thought Minnesota was, was smart in, in trying to get behind him and trying to match him up with, with uh, like, a dynamic 1v1 player. You know, Club America really exposed him as well. Um, again, the, the Club America's attackers are at a different level than a lot of MLS teams. Yeah, for sure. They really, yeah, I mean, they really had him backpedaling, and, and he just didn't look that great in those situations. So if he's on the field, I think Jim Curtin should look at that and say, you know, how do we how do we isolate him? Mm-hmm. How do we force him to think and force Justin Merrim? If Justin Merrim plays, you know, who's a converted wingback and is playing on that side as well, yeah. so we get him to defend. So... Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, this is something else that I said last night. You know, I think Minnesota were somewhat conservative in the first half, and I think it, it, it backfired. You know, I think a lot of teams want to play that way against Atlanta and hope it goes well for 45 minutes, and then they're going to, they're, they'll hope to, you know, make some adjustments in the second half and, and steal a game. But when you come out and attack Atlanta, when you play them man to man, um, and, and just so if you're brave, you know, you can get results. You can get, you can break them down. You can get to Brad Guzan. And that's what a lot of teams have done. The teams that have been most successful against them are, are teams that can do that. Uh, because I think if you just try to kind of hope and bunker and, and break on them, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're settled into that now. I think after, you know, three years of, of facing teams that do that, they might not always break you down, but they're not going to be surprised when they see that. Yeah. All right. One more, uh, one more uh, Atlanta question for you. And I just want to ask you about Bedoya. Um, just, just a quick exercise here. Cause I'm trying to look at the standings and trying to predict what's going to happen here. I, the Union are on 48, Atlanta's on 48, New York's on 47. New York has two games in hand, Atlanta has a game in hand. Uh, the Union have to play Atlanta, LAFC, then they go at Red Bull, at San Jose, at Columbus, and then they finish at home to NYC. Uh, Atlanta has at Philly versus Columbus, at Cincy versus San Jose, at New York, then they get uh, Montreal and New England. I, I just don't. I don't know. I, I don't want to be like, <laughs> I don't want to be like cynical to, to union fans because it's the best season we've ever had. But I just, I don't, I can't see Philly finishing in first place. I, I think Atlanta is probably going to finish in first. But I mean, if you had to pick one through three right now, where you think they're going to finish? What do you think is going to happen? You know, the way it is now, uh, Atlanta, United, Philadelphia, NYCFC. I would not be surprised if that's how it ends up. Honestly, one, two, three. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, one through three. Um, you know, I think that the Red Bulls are still six. Uh, yeah, they're six points behind NYCFC at this point. You know, NYCFC is a good team. You know, they they're they're just as competitive as Philadelphia and Atlanta United. You know, on a good day and when things go their way and when they can really plan for an opponent and play their their style, which is a new style that they're, they're trying to you know come into. So, you know, I think Atlanta will end up on top. Uh, you know, they have momentum, they have the players, they have the confidence, but they also have, you know, those teams that you just listed as their future opponents are not cupcakes. <laughs> you know, even no. New England, a team that we had all written off, everyone wrote off New England is now a team that you're, they're pretty dangerous. You don't, you're not sure if what you're going to get from them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're playing with nothing to lose. And right now they're, you know, they're in the playoffs, which is pretty remarkable. Um, and so, 
Yeah, you know, last night, something that Joseph Martinez said that was interesting is that, you know, he was blunt just that, you know, the Eastern Conference is the best conference in MLS. There's no doubt. He says, it's the toughest conference. He's like, yeah, I know. LAFC is out there winning everything, but they have 70 points and they're already in the playoffs. Yeah. And he was a bit sarcastic and he said, you know, the second place guy, the second place <laughs> team has, what, 20 points? So, you know, he was showing that discrepancy between, you know, the, the first and second place team in the West when all year people have really been, you know, hating on the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And, jo- and Joseph Martinez was like, no, this is the toughest conference. Like, you have no margin for error. Every every game is important. And so they know that. You know, even though they just won that cup last night. That's true. Yeah. Asked, yeah, you know, when they were asked about, hey, like, Champions League next, next year, you're qualified, you know, everyone, you know, most for the most part, the players are talking about Philadelphia. They're like, yeah, we need to beat them first. Well, yeah, it's they like more, it's more. Big game. This is a top of the table clash. They want home field. You know, I think Atlanta, it's somewhat in their head that they had not played well yeah. on the road. You know, like they did, and I, you know, honestly, I think against Portland, they, they, they played a good match and they came out of there. They could have won that game 3 4 nothing. It could have been 2 2, but. Um, they've won on the road again. They're starting to like kind of. They're talking about that to themselves. Like we can do this, but more than anything, they want home field advantage. You know, during the playoffs, so that makes Saturday's game, you know, a huge one. It's an interesting point about the conferences. Yeah, I mean, I, the the East probably is certainly more compelling, I guess, um, than the West for sure. Um, you know, likewise, I mean, you could say like the Premier League is obviously much better than most leagues in the world, but I'm, you know. I don't necessarily care what happens from number seven to 17 in the table, you know, where I think MLS parity kind of helps with that a little bit. Um, but one more question for you, actually, actually two quick ones. Um, you did the Bedoya feature recently, I guess you spoke to him in, in May, right. And then did Pablo right. t- tag team that Pablo talked to Curtin, right. And some of those quotes are in the story too. Correct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, at the time it was like, Hey, we should talk to Alejandro Bedoya as a guy that I've, you know, he's already been, you know, well known as being kind of an outspoken player in MLS on on what needs to change, and and so that was really the premise of the piece. You know, it was just like, I, you know, me personally, I'm you know I'm Colombian, and we, you know, that was something that we I wanted to talk to him about as well. Yeah, and we did. It didn't make the piece, but we got into that and kind of in our, our family histories and stuff. And so it was a it was a really fun conversation. But yeah, it was before any of like. Any of the celebration, the, the 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 premeditated celebration, the the, the gun control stance that he yeah. was very public about, it was before any of that, and um, you know for different reasons. You know, we you know you kind of hold a piece for different reasons, but it, it, it worked out. You know, and, and I think what's interesting is that this is who he is. No matter what, whether you talk to him in May or you talk to him right now, this is his personality. This is he's a guy that is very opinionated and and he has a point of view and if he has a point of view he's going to share it um but i think what i wanted to do is dig into like where that came from you know like why what what makes a person what makes a professional athlete feel like they still after 10 years still have a chip on their shoulder you know because he pretty much plays like that um and so that was great to get into that he told me his dad is the guy that really instituted this 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 point of view of like having have you know be having a voice you know whether you're right or wrong um like share your voice learn from other people and and so he he gave a lot of credit to his dad but he you know he still when he talked about the colleges that didn't recruit him like he was amped you know it wasn't something that was like (laughs) oh yeah i remember like he was like you know forget those guys he was still thinking about that and so that has driven him to take a different path you know professionally and, and take more risks 
um, you know, in his career. And I think he takes risks when he's in front of the mic as well, because he knows that, you know, you might not, you might, in a, in a league like MLS, that's, that's changing. It's, it's, you want to be a change agent. You yeah, want to be one yeah. of those guys that, that has good ideas that wants to improve the league. And so he's very passionate about them. Yeah. I thought, you know, one of the quotes, I think that was a takeaway for me from that story was, I think Jim Curtin said something to the effect of, uh, you know, most guys come out now and they want to build their personal brand first. Mm-hmm. And then they start on their career. But, like, ain't nobody going to take you seriously if you come out and start saying a bunch of shit before you've even, like, really proven anything on the field. So I think one of the reasons it really plays well um, – well, first of all, in Philly, in Philly, people appreciate honest honesty no matter what, yeah. right? But I think I think Alejandro, everything he says, I think it plays well nationally and whatever, too, because people look at his resume and they say, okay, this guy has earned the right to say whatever he wants to say because he's gone and backed it up. I mean, you look at his career path. I mean, it's it's the prototypical American sto- – American f- uh, story, you know, so I, yeah. I, I think I think that's why it reverberates well, because I think not only do you get the sense that he truly does believe everything he's saying, but it's also it's also he has uh, the resume and he's done the necessary back work in, in having a, a legitimate say, you know. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, it's it's and like you mentioned, thanks, you know, to, to my colleague, Paolo Mara, who, who was covering uh, writing another story at the time, and, and we, we, we connected, and I'm like, hey, man, can you get Curtin on Bedoya? And Curtin just, you know, he gave us gold. You know, he's, he's also very honest yeah, yeah, about, you know, it, it, with everything. But, you know, I think he it's great that as a coach, he, he appreciates having players like that. And, you know, the thing about the branding, you know, I, I agree. I think that's an important point that probably flew under the radar a bit in the story. But it's so true in today's, like, just the way sports are, are globalized so quickly through social media. And and athletes know that, you know, the, yes, you know, we, we reporters, they, you know, sometimes they, they kind of feed us stuff or they say things that we know we're going to report. But they can just as easily send a tweet. You know, they can send a tweet. They can yeah. put something on Instagram. Yeah. They have millions of followers. They're building their brand. Uh, you know, a guy that we give, you know, we mess with a little bit here in Atlanta is Julian Gressel, who, you know, he's come into this league um, and been very successful right away. You know, he was the rookie of the year in, in 2017. Uh, he he was trusted by Tata Martino early, and then he earned even more trust and became, you know, a pivotal player in their championship run. You know, today, I think in MLS, he's considered one of those young players that, you know, has a really bright future that should be, you know, in the upper echelon of, of really creative players and difference makers. But, He's still in his third year, and you know what, what we mess with him here in Atlanta about sometimes is that he already has kind of like his own brand. Yeah, it's called. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so yeah. it's it's funny because he talks about it. You know, he he jokes about it. Um, you know, he tweets about it. He posts about it, and so that was interesting because Bedoya, you know, it took him. He has a ten-year career. Now he comes into MLS. He takes a big risk in, in deciding to come to Philadelphia. You know, a team yeah, that, yeah. like we mentioned, like we said before, like has not won anything in their in their ten-year history. Terrible. Uh, yeah, and so he. I think when players do that, that shows a lot about what, like, what they expect of themselves too. You know, he put a lot of weight on his shoulders right away to be, you know, a DP for Philadelphia to be the captain. And to try to change the narrative around the union that they're a team that people should respect, and so he's done that on the field, and I think that's very you know you have to give him a lot of credit for that. The name of the story is "I Had to Go to Europe." I couldn't just settle. Alejandro Bedoya was fueled by the doubters from a young age. Felipe Cardenas at the Athletic. Felipe, thanks for your time, man. Um, I appreciate it, and we will see 
uh, what happens this weekend should be a good game no matter what. And uh, we'll see if it, it does end up being a referendum on the on the Philadelphia Union. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what how the fans of Philadelphia respond to this game, what the turnout looks like, what the energy is, because the team's going to need it. The team's going to need that. To, For sure. You know, facing a team, an Atlanta United team that's really, really competitive right now, confident, um, but still vulnerable. You know, they have their flaws. So if you can get on Atlanta United early and get them behind and make them chase the game, you know, that makes – you know, that'll make for an interesting matchup. And then obviously the top of the table will, will, will continue to be one that you know, I think all of MLS is really looking at as far as the playoff goes. But, Kevin, thanks a lot for the invite, you know, and, and Absolutely. call me anytime. Happy to join. Anytime, man. Thanks again for your time. Felipe Cardena, uh, Cardenas at The Athletic. You follow me on Twitter. It's at Felipe C-A-R. We'll do it again, man. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it, brother. All right, we'll get to your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, and suggestions for words that end in the letter A shortly. We'll get to that shortly. But first, uh, I have to issue an apology. It's actually a rare apology because we don't, you know, this being the premier Philadelphia Union podcast, we don't make a lot of mistakes on this podcast. But I don't know if Kareeth and I were just like too many golden monkeys into the podcast last time. We were talking about the playoffs. Playoffs at the end of – at the end of the podcast, and we were talking about who uh, – <laughs> it's, it's actually rather embarrassing. We are talking about if the Union would host the first round of the playoffs or if they would be on the road for the first round of the playoffs, but there is no – it's single elimination this year. I forgot. They changed it because with the new bra- – with the 1-7 to seven <clears throat> in the bracket, it's all single elimination now. So if they're first place, they get the bye, right, and then they would play the 4-5 or five winner in their first game. And then they would have home field until they met up with like LAFC, right? Um, but if they're if they finish second, they don't get the bye. They have to play the two seven game, and then if they would get to the conference finals, they would have to play in Atlanta or in NYC in the um, conference finals. So just a little bit of clarity there. I'd like to offer my sincerest apologies um, to all of you out there, the loyal listeners of It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. So I ask people for their questions, comments, and concerns. And um, if they had suggestions for words that end in the letter A, and we actually got a lot of uh, like really, really good ones, so I might actually save some of these and write some of them down, um, and we could use them for future podcasts because there's, really if you think about it, there's only so many words that end in the letter A, so we can't go through, can't go through all of them right away. Um, sorry, I just had to belch. I just ate. Um, Okay, Matt Thornton is up first. He's a, a mediocre bad guy is his handle. Um, his word that ends in the letter A is Toyota Corolla, which is a good one. So the British would say it's a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> it's pretty good. I thought I thought the ones that Kreeth and I did last week were pretty good. Uh, Lady Gogger and uh, an Orker. <laughs> an Orker whale, an Orca whale. Shamu was one of these. Um, EJ McGrogan says, was Zach McMath secretly as good or better than Andre Blake? Um, no, no. I think Andre was probably the better goalkeeper overall. Um, but I, mean, I, don't, I don't think Andre's had his best season. I think most people would probably agree with that, probably just because of the lofty standards that he's set in the past and what we, what we know about him you know, and how good he's been in the past. So I guess it was ironic that he ended up on the All-Star team, wasn't it? Uh, Pretzel Life says, do you think Sugarman is actually proud of his club? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I mean, sure, this year he would be, right? I mean, I mean, if he's not, he's only got himself to blame. But, I mean, they instituted this kind of money ball thing. They're still not spending a, a ton of money, really, but they're uh, in first place in the uh, in the East. So, yeah, I mean, if he's not proud of what they're doing this year, I don't know what the hell would make him proud or what he's expecting, you know? Um, uh, Mark Alexander, uh, one of my favorite Scottish guys, uh, on Twitter, along with Barry, um, he says "fitba" uh, is his word that ends in the letter. It's the correct spelling of football, because I guess they say fit, "fitba" over there in those heavy uh, Scottish accents. Fitber. Um, Dan says, "If the Union lose on Saturday, should I take up my place on the Commodore Barry Bridge because all hope will be lost?" Uh, <clears throat> I mean, yes and no, but if you think about it, it's it's really, you know, we went with uh, Felipe, we went through the schedules that each team has. I mean, they're really going to be behind the eight ball if if they lose this game because it's not just that they're going to be three points back, but it's that game in hand that's a killer on them, you know? So Union 48, Atlanta 48 with a game in hand. NYC at 47 with two games in hand, and then Philly has to end at NYC again this year. I mean, you remember how shitty that whole situation was last year? Wouldn't it be terrible if it came back to if it came down again to a regular season finale with New York? Luckily, that game's at home, but uh, that one might be actually pretty crucial for seeding. Um, that might actually be the difference between second place and third place, don't you think? Because I think that Atlanta just has the better schedule going forward, you know, because Atlanta, you know, if Atlanta wins at Philly, they'll beat Columbus at home. I mean, they should beat Cincy on the road. They'll beat San Jose at home. They'll, I guess they'll beat New England at home. At Montreal, they'll probably win. Um, they also got to play NYC. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're running out of real estate, that's for sure. I mean, it's amazing to think that, like, you know, there's there's four nothing losses. Like, the Union just had these opportunities to kind of stretch that lead at the top of the conference, and they just couldn't take him, and that might come back to bite him in the ass, you know. Uh, Shay Richardson says, what's more likely, Union winning a playoff series this year or Ben Simmons hitting a three next season? Um, <clears throat> that's actually a, that's a very good question. I could see well the Union got to win if they finish in first place. Uh, well, it's probably they probably have a better shot of winning a playoff quote unquote series, one game series, if they finish in second because their first game would be against number seven instead of four five. Ben Simmons will hit a three next season, uh, but I think both of them will. I think both of them will happen. Honestly, that's kind of a non-answer, but I think Ben Simmons will hit a three. It'll look ugly, but it'll go in, and I think uh, the Union will win a playoff series. Giants dumpster fire. Uh, says four four two diamond or four two three one versus Atlanta, and his word that ends in the letter A is bazooka, <laughs> which would be pronounced bazooka. So four four two diamond. Uh, God, let me. Well, let me like kind of write it down here. Uh, this will be great podcast. Be great radio. And Shabilko up top. I mean, are we all down on Andrew Vooten all of a sudden? Is he not part of the picture anymore? Uh, Shabilko's playing well. I guess it's hard to justify anything else i mean if they play four two three one shibilko montero at the 10 or do you play madunian in as a as the six then bring montero back and put fabian on i think if you're playing four two three one i i personally would probably rather see madunian in montero and fabian versus like a madunian in creval montero 
you know, because this is probably going to be it's probably going to be a wide open game no matter what. I don't know what the effectiveness of like a Warren Carvalho would be uh, in that situation. I don't think he passes the ball well enough in an up tempo back and forth kind of game to really give you much of anything. I still think you try to kind of try to play to your strengths, whether you're playing four two three one or whether you're playing the diamond, which is your strong which is your strong midfield, you know. So Montero, Maduninen. Fabian, you don't have Bedoya there. I mean, I guess if you played Diamond, it would be Madunian in at the at the base. Montero on the left or right. Would you bring Aronson back and play him on the left or right, and then have Fabian at the tip, or would you go you know Craval and then Aronson up at the top? I don't know. I, I think I'd like to see them be aggressive. I would like to see uh, like a Montero, Madunian, Aronson, Fabian, or like a Montero, Madunian, um, Fabian. You know, then on the left or right, you can put Aronson back over there if you want. You can start El Sino again. You know, I don't. Felipe was saying he wasn't sure if the uh, he thought that um, Pogba might not might not be starting on on Saturday. So I don't know if El Sino. I think maybe you want to bring El Sino off the bench this time around instead of starting him. Maybe use him use him as the weapon off the bench this time. But some interesting stuff to consider there. I'm not really sure what Jim's going to do. Um, and if I did, I would be there. Um, Nostradamus. Uh, Mitch says Shabilko has 12 goals, which makes him the current number six goal scorer in MLS with a goal every 150 minutes. Do you view him as a top goal scorer? Why or why not? No, I don't. I've said this on the podcast before, but I think because the union's midfield is so damn good because they control so much of the possession and they play so high up the field. I think a lot of strikers could score 12 goals on this team. Um, yeah, and like I said last time, it's not, it's not to take anything away from Shabilko because I think he's a good player. But like I said, I think C.J. Sapan could have 12 goals on this team right now. I think Corey Burke could have 12 goals on this team for sure. If Andrew Vooten was starting at the beginning of the year, I think he could have 12 goals too. So I don't I – don't, it's less about – it's not taking away from Shabilko. I just think it's more of a product of uh, he's playing in front of one of the best midfields in the league, maybe the best midfield in the league. Uh, Anthony Oliver's word is Foffer. Foffer. Get Russ to do that one again. Uh, Rich Ransom says, is Jim Curtin the coach of the year or will he lose to Bradley or DeBoer no matter what? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because a couple weeks ago I thought he was going to lose out to Almeida too, but I think San Jose is coming back down to earth a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, I guess it's got to be Bradley. Uh, DeBoer is now in the conversation too. But, you know, if you want to go, you know, for the argument that, well, those guys have a bunch of, the, you know, million-dollar players and amazing talent on the team. How much coaching have they really done versus what Jim has done with less? Uh, you could make that argument that Jim should deserve it before both of them. Adrian Heath has done a really nice job in Minnesota. Um, you know, if they had won the U.S. Open Cup, I know that's not necessarily factored into MLS Coach of the Year, but I think there's, an, there's a bias that would creep in there and people would start to talk about that and start to take that into account. I think you have to put him up there too. So, yeah, I guess now it's probably probably your top five in, in no real order. It's probably Bradley, DeBoer, Jim Curtin, Adrian Heath, and I guess Almeida's probably still in there. Um, Andrew says, what's up with the Larimer? They only are brewing one beer on site at this point. Um, every other tap they have listed is from somewhere else. Um, yeah, I guess I understood based on what Matt was explaining to me, I think what the, what they were going to do is, uh, start out that way. And then they're going to start to slowly introduce like their pilot beers, um, from that point on, because it's going to be like a, a testing. So the main, the main Larimer branch is out in Colorado. So this was supposed to be a pilot house where they were going to try some new stuff, brew some different kind of things. Um, but yeah, I mean, the getting open was the first thing. And then I guess that's the next, the next step in the process so i don't know but i've been meaning to stop back over there and 
maybe bring uh bring my baby girl down to a away game or something and hang out and drink a few beers and, and catch up with those guys and follow up with them again. Um, <clears throat> Goose says, since this week is getting hyped up like a playoff week, does it does a loss against Atlanta start a skid that puts us in a slump for the actual playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I don't feel too good about it. Like, I, I feel, I feel good about the Union's chances this weekend. But I think if they lose, I think it does get really iffy from there because then you're out of first place. Um, the, Atlanta is above you in points and it still has the game in hand. And then the schedule is L.A. Red Bull at Red Bull at San Jose at Columbus. Like, I don't. Yeah, I mean, your room for error is very slim here. Um, it's, I think it's squeaky bum time for the union for sure. Um, and Goose's word was alfalfa, which is a good one. Al, alfalfa, alfalfa. Uh, Alex says, with Bedoya missing Saturday's game due to yellow cards, what does Jim do in the midfield? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I just talked about that. Um, also, uh, who is the most notable union alum who was not there last weekend? Um. Oh, well, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, well, some of them are still active, you know? Like, who else is high? Oh, you know, uh, Christian Maidana? Christian Maidana, is Chaco still playing for anybody? It would have been nice to see him. Um, Danny Cruz, I thought maybe would have been a good candidate to be there, but I think he's coaching, right? Isn't he coaching at this point? Um, anybody else from the 2010 team? Andrew well, Andrew Jacobson was only here for a year. Chacho Kude, they could have brought him back. Michael Orozco, Feast Cow, Michael Orozco. Um, yeah, everybody else is still active. Jordan Harvey's still playing. Roger Torres would have been nice. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess he might still be playing somewhere. I'm not sure. It's a good question. I should go look up what those guys are doing. Uh, that's about it. Um, Andrew Dillon ripped off a list of a lot of good words, so I'm going to end the podcast. Just I'll read off every single one. Oh, sorry, Eric had one too. His word is CASA, as in CASA League. Cosser, Cosser League. So I'm just going to end the podcast now by reading over Dill's. Uh, he dropped like 15 words that end in the letter A here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these and that'll be it for the podcast. Cornucopier, dystopier, dysle- dyslexier, <laughs> pizzeria, pizzeria. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Uh, rutabager, a rutabager. Um, you get this when you're sick. Uh, if old people have trouble with this, it's pneumonia. Um, 50 Cent would say, what up to this person? He would say, what up, gangster, gangster. Well, that doesn't work because gangsta is short for gangster. So, um, the ch- Chinese and some people in Asia, uh, there are statues of this person around. Uh, it's Booter. Um, these guys were in the uh, in the Lion King. They were uh, Scar. Is Scar the name of the bad guy? They're Scar's henchmen. They're hy- hyenas. This is something you eat. Um, it's kind of like rice, but it's more healthy. I think it's quinoa. 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 Uh, they have these in Australia. They're cute and they're cuddly. They are koala bears. Koalers. 
Uh, this is what happens. This is something you place on somebody like they are unfairly given this like label or, or stereotype. It's a stigma, a stigma. This is something when you're like, uh, when you order a gyro, uh, you would put it on this kind of bread or this kind of like roll. It's a Peter, Peter bread. And, um, this is a kind of fish that you get, um, you can find it, uh, it's a, a rather common fish. It's a tilapier. Tilapier. All right. Well, that was great. That was me talking into a microphone for 10 minutes, reading words that end in the letter A, as if I was British. Um, but that'll do it for this episode number 90. It's always soccer in Philadelphia. And uh, we're getting close to episode 100, which I think will probably hit sometime uh, in the off season. So maybe we'll do something special and maybe we won't. Depends on if I feel like it. <laughs>